welcome to the fifth episode of European Talks, a podcast run by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. My name is Dusan Pievovic and I will be your host today. In this episode, we will focus solely on the European Parliament elections, given the fact they wrapped up a couple of days ago. To discuss this topic, I am joined by Dr. Corina Stratulat, a senior policy analyst and the head of the European Politics and Institutions Program at the European Policy Center, who joins me from Brussels via Skype. Ms. Stratulat, welcome to our podcast. talking about the European uh, Parliament election. Um, they just ended. Uh, they, they certainly attracted a lot of attention, more than usual. Even here in Serbia, they received uh, significant media attention. They also produced some interesting results. I mean, highest turnout in 20 years. Uh, two major uh, power blocks, the EPP and uh, SND, uh, lost a significant number of seats in the European Parliament. Uh, Greens and Liberals uh, gained quite a bit. So did you expect this outcome um, or just simply put what what did you expect and, and yeah. well <clears throat> right i mean uh, i'm i i wouldn't know about the attention that these elections have have received perhaps you're right but uh, um i i i really don't uh, don't know if indeed uh, this have been uh, any more uh <laughs> popular than than the 2014 one or you know i, I have no idea about that um overall i would say that um what has transpired uh, had been predicted for the most part um but yes indeed we've also seen a number of uh, of surprises um some uh, some more pleasant than uh, than others um what uh, was perhaps the biggest surprise in a positive sense was, uh, as you mentioned, the turnout, um, which uh, has indeed uh, increased uh, to 48.6%, at least according to the latest figures I had, but maybe by the end of, uh, uh, by the time all the, the votes had been, have been counted, um, uh, will go, um, will reach 50, I don't know. Um, and of course, um, I think um, this spells good news. It spells good news uh, for the EP, um, for the standing of the European Parliament as an institution that derives its legitimacy from um, uh, direct from these direct elections. Um, I think uh, they could spell good news also for the legitimacy of the Commission President, uh, provided of course for the next of the next Commission President, provided of course that he or she will. Uh, come from among the uh, candidates who um, um, have competed uh, for for uh, for this post in this vote, and it could bode well also for turnout in national elections. Um, as you know, uh, we're expecting in the next period um, elections in Greece, in Poland, uh, in Denmark, uh, uh, in Portugal, and um, research shows that. Uh, um, if that participation in any elections at whatever uh, whichever level uh, kind of socializes voters into the habit of voting uh, also 
so they are likely to uh, to exercise this uh, this right also when the next uh, opportunity presents itself. Um, so because they voted now, they're likely to vote again, um, uh, basically. And the opposite uh, uh, seems to be true as well, meaning that uh, if you abstain from one election, then you're likely to abstain also in the next election. So so it's uh, it's also good news in this uh, in this respect that more more, more uh, people that um, participated. Um, now. Uh, it's interesting also of why exactly um, uh, we have uh, more people going to uh, to cast their vote, and uh, I mean uh, there's there's a lot of speculation uh, um, about this uh, that can be can be made. Um, you know, in the past. Um, uh, it was actually uh, the, the argument was that um, uh, uh, you know the the, the the falling turnout over the years uh, was a trend which um, uh, was less because of the falling turnout in individual countries and more because of the changing composition of the EU. Meaning that the more EU expanded and got new member states in, particularly uh, when it uh, it enlarged to um, to some of the post-communist countries, um, the the more this uh, weighted on the overall participation rate. And indeed, uh, if you look now, for for example, at uh, the the turnout in the Central Eastern Europe uh, or the new member states, uh, in fact, uh, you see that they have re registered the largest increase. Um, uh, among uh, among the the other countries, it's uh, more or less 36 percent or so, uh, which represents basically a third more than what was last time around. So this probably played a role in bringing up the turnout for sure. And then, um, well, I mean. Uh, it's true that turnout has remained high in uh, in countries where uh, the elections coincided also with uh, with other elections or with referendums, like in Romania, or where uh, it's mandatory to uh, to, uh, to to vote. Um, has the Spitzenkandidaten process helped? Um, well, we could say that maybe this was the case in uh, in the Netherlands, uh, where Timmermans' party um, has done particularly well. But I I think there is very little evidence uh, for for the time being to suggest that uh, in a, anywhere else this this right can be attributed to lead candidates. But for the most part, um, what seems to to have boosted people's participation, I think, is frustration with national politics. So um, the vote was certainly a reference on national politics in countries like Romania, like France, like Greece, uh, the UK. Um, but at the same time, it was less um, uh, of a protest vote or less a desire to punish the incumbent government in other member states like Bulgaria, like Austria, Hungary, Poland, uh, where in fact the leading um, party has actually consolidated power. Um, so... Um, so yeah, this uh, this this definitely was a surprise. Um, then, of course, we were expecting that the um, uh, the EPP and the SND would lose votes, uh, and we were expecting that uh, they would be in a position where they would no longer be able alone or together to form a majority, and they would need a third or fourth party. So that is not necessarily surprising. Um, 
um and and of course we were expecting that the um uh that the radicals uh would um uh would 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 get would register gains and um but i think with respect to to whatever you want to call them radical you're a skeptic populist uh, uh pff, whatever the label anti-parties whatever you want to whatever label you want to give them uh i mean they have done well but they haven't done um as well as maybe um uh, we had expected i mean uh, there had been a lot of speculation that there would be some sort of a far-right surge um and and you know they did do well in the countries where we had expected them to do well like hungary yeah. or poland um but then they also did really well particularly big uh, scores in france uh in in belgium um in the uk in fact uh, this brexit party uh is the biggest in the ep now together with uh, the german cdu yeah. um However, um, they have also lost ground. I mean, in countries like Bulgaria, Denmark, Austria, Hungary, the Netherlands, France, Greece, they um, they didn't do super well either. Right. Uh, so they some 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 of the losses here are over one point five percent. So um, so then. Now we're looking at an average of between together 20-25% in the electoral of these far-right uh, forces, which again is is a record for sure, but not uh, not necessarily the populist tsunami that uh, that we have been warned uh, about. Um, now the the so so in a sense this could be a little surprise also positive if if you want, though it is also confirmation of some expectations to a certain extent um, and finally uh, another big surprise I, I would say uh, which which actually is also good surprise uh, if you think about it um, is the the um, um, the gains of uh, for the for the greens and for for the liberals um, yeah. because of course this uh, essentially helps to consolidate the uh, the mainstream or the pro-european forces um, so for example with the um, uh, the Greens, they they have definitely outperformed the forecast. I mean, uh, I think uh, they had a 16-seat uh, increase. We, they're at 68. And this is basically their best uh, results ever. Um, yeah. It's uh, so much so that if we are to speak of a wave, we can speak of a green wave. Um, mm -hmm. So the biggest, um, their biggest scores are in Germany, uh, 20 seats. They got the second uh, place and, and overtook the, the socialists. Um, they came second in Ireland. They also scored big in the Netherlands, in Denmark, in Sweden, in Finland, in France, um, but also the UK. Uh, it's interesting, though, here that uh, if you look at Central Eastern Europe, uh, the only place where the, the, uh, where, uh, where a Green Party got seats is Lithuania. They got two seats, but none of the other countries in Central Eastern Europe actually um, uh, had any um, Green Parties um, um, successful. So, um, uh, and 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 I think I mean this. Uh, uh, the the emphasis on on environmental issues on climate issues i mean it's it's not necessarily surprising i mean uh, uh, if you look for instance at the results of this uh, european citizens consultation initiative and uh, all the pretty much all the country reports um, um, 
uh, reveal that uh, that that uh, environmental issues and climate uh, issues are basically at the top of the priority agenda for 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 citizens. Um, What's interesting is also to note that these green parties have started as anti-establishment forces um, and they have transformed themselves now into some sort of radical form of establishment. Um, but um, but they they've arguably succeeded to do that and to get to this position because they have um, put forward policies and they've worked within the system. So they, they, they didn't sit at the fringes or they didn't challenge the existing structures, but kind of worked with, uh, with them. So, so that's an interesting lesson also maybe for the radical, for the populists in adapting strategies yeah. in order to get your way. Um, and, and okay, and the final observation about, um, about the liberals, um, who have also seen their numbers go up. So um, now if you count ALDE together with uh, the Enmarche, uh, so Macron's uh, party from France and with the Romanian, um, uh, well, sort of liberal force, uh, new force USR plus, then together they have about 108 seats, which is a, an increase of 39 seats from uh, from last time. And and it's funny here because the, um, the 39 seats increase is the same, is almost the same as the as what the the EPP and the SND lost, so the EPP lost 37 mm. and the SND lost 38, and uh, uh, Liberals gained um, uh, 39. And mm. um, of course now uh, there's several things to note here. First, that uh, Macron's party uh, is by far the biggest contributor to to this gain, and um, so if if his party actually formally decides to participate in these alliances, it will probably do so um, uh, under certain conditions. It will, you know, it will have some bargaining power. Um, but of course, uh, Macron is also flirting a bit with some of the powerful SND parties, uh, like uh, the Partido Democratico in Italy, PSOE in, in Spain, and PS in Portugal. So uh, maybe he will want his party to become the centerpiece of, uh, of a new alliance, uh, but, I mean, to form his own group. Who knows? That uh, could be a possibility too. But even uh, in this situation, if you think of Macron coming second in his country, which is uh, kind of a personal um, um, def uh, um, sure. defeat in a sense um, I mean this could also affect his ability to to call the shots you know um, we'll we'll have to see but uh, overall this then means that we're probably seeing a sort of new political alignment that uh, is shaping up in which we're kind of moving away from the old uh, left uh, right divide uh, towards a more um, a dimension that is more defined in cultural and uh, in cultural terms rather than in economic terms. So possibly some have labeled it nationalist versus cosmopolitan dimension, in which mm -hmm. you have the Greens being the main left-wing party uh, and the populist radical right being the main right-wing actor, if you if you want. Um, still, I mean, this is this is just to put a bit things into context, but. Um, uh, 
a lot of things remain unclear. Huh? I mean, uh, uh, even the ability of the radicals to actually uh, uh, stick together and uh, and have an influence and have an impact and play a role. I mean, uh, it's it's very hypothetical at uh, at this point, irrespective of uh, uh, of their games. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in there. So um, uh, that's something I wanted to ask you. So let's focus on that a little bit. Because um, personally, I was pretty surprised uh, uh, about how well Greens did. And I, I can't quite figure out whether people are just fed up with mainstream political parties and they gave their votes to, to someone new. Or is it that people are really interested, genuinely interested in, in environmental issues? And that's the main reason why they casted well, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's very possible that they're interested in in environment and green issues. I mean, they they've said so. Uh, mm. As I said in the consultations, they it often comes up. They see it as an issue that affects them and their children and the future. And and I think it's um it it is it's also a signal that they are aware that or or that they recognize the EU as being the appropriate level to deal with these issues. Um, right. It's um, uh, it, it's the kind of topic and the kind of um, problem which I, I I'm tempted to think they they understand that it cannot be dealt with by any uh, single member state and that col uh, European or collective action is necessary and so in that sense they see the they see Europe as part of the solution on this uh, particular issue so therefore uh, not uh, shocking that they would uh, uh, vote for these parties uh, of course uh, uh, is it uh, have the Greens taken votes from the from the uh, left and uh, and right for from the EPP and SND. I don't know about that. Uh, I think this remains to be seen. Uh, it's too early to tell. I haven't seen any numbers in this regard. But it is possible that if they had to to make choices, um, um, possibly uh, they voted with the heart because they do see mm -hmm. think this as an important issue and an imp uh, an issue on which the EU can have an added value. It's not it's not um, uh, outrageous to think in that direction. Not at all. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. It, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see once the data comes out to see how people whether there was a a, a shift in vote and and whether people like left EPP and SND and and voted for. Um, for well, I mean, uh, probably there we'll was see. redistribution across the entire. Uh, obviously, all the all these votes, especially since turnout has increased, must have been distributed to to uh, to to this party. What percentage of this went to the Greens as opposed to the Radicals and to the Liberals? I don't know, but uh, right. but ultimately, quite clearly, it's an it's an issue about which people care about, and uh, it's something where they see that. Uh, uh, they have a stake. Uh, I mean, uh, um, not only that we've spoken more about this issue, uh, uh, given the um, climate change agreements and, and everything, I mean, they, they've been quite high, but also, I mean, the yellow vest uh, um, uh, outburst uh, uh, in, in France was linked to how you reconcile uh, these climate change goals and uh, uh, social uh, fairness. Um, so, you know, they realize not only that it's important, but it might be um, uh, relevant and clashing with other interests that they have. So it becomes a uh, it becomes an issue as opposed to just being a, a vague diffusion 
huge uh, uh, topic. Um, on top of that, I mean, you have all sort of climate, uh, climatic changes in terms of weather, in terms of, you know, uh, um, extreme um, uh, temperatures, extreme uh, natural phenomena, and uh, often, uh, you know, jokingly or not, uh, we repeat ourselves that, uh, you know, uh, it's climate change, it's the, uh, uh, it's the, you know, all the, um, um, the, the environment uh, um, uh, that uh, uh, environmental concerns due to 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 the way we uh, we interfere in uh, 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 with with climate. So uh, whether because they feel it directly or whether because it's it has entered our vocabulary and our uh, um, let's say discussions so much, but I think people are more aware of it and they care about it. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, so, as I said, the, the election has, has drawn a lot of attention here in Serbia as well, and for obvious reasons, um, we're in the accession process, so anything that happens internally in the EU affects us as well, uh, not to the same extent as, as member states, but it certainly has an effect. Uh, so, what do you think, like, uh, how would these results uh, uh, influence the enlargement policy, because that's obviously something we care about here? Uh, well, Again, um, it's it's very early stages of this. I mean, uh, it, it has to sink in in a way for uh, uh, for some of the member states. But um, uh, if I had to to react, I would say that it doesn't necessarily bring good news for enlargement policy. I mean, uh, um, first uh, because. Um, um, some of the key member states, including uh, France, uh, had seen such a um, such a boost for the for the radicals. Uh, um, but also, I mean, uh, generally speaking, um, um, you know, th they uh, the this radical populist phenomena has um, um, ha has has. We, we have become so much more aware of, of this phenomena, even uh, if you disregard the, the exact numbers and the fact that um, the situation differs from one country to the other, that, that you know, it's, it's not likely that the member states will now turn around and completely embrace enlargement policy and, uh, uh, you know, uh, be any, any less hostile or any less um, hesitant about enlargement in view of the elections. So if, if anything, maybe, the, maybe more so. I mean, uh, already Macron um, had come out with statements about, you know, consolidation uh, before uh, uh, further expansion. So... Uh, Given that he's now taken the second place, uh, and um, you know that uh, um, that these radical parties, uh, including in France, uh, uh, do not uh, necessarily are not very um, welcoming towards uh, towards the policy and towards the Balkan countries, then then I wouldn't I wouldn't think that he's um, uh, he will soften uh, necessarily his position uh, as a player to. Uh, uh, to give an example, but but I think uh, that's generally the rule. I mean, even uh, in Italy or in Austria, which are closer to the Balkans, uh, normally friends. Um, you know, I mean, I think the election 
did bring to the surface certain issues and and again i mean if they have to take a decision you know the important decisions are coming by up now with the, the north macedonia and with albania uh, at, um, uh, in june and i mean by june would will things would would have things settled down by then in terms of of this uh, of, the, of the different countries uh, uh, sort of um um coming to terms with with whatever happened uh, at um, in their national political arena but also would things have come down at the eu i mean imp very important decisions are are coming up in the eu uh, including the the allocation of uh, the distribution of the different uh, high level positions including uh, the formation of groups in the parliament and uh, uh, allocations of roles there uh, including the eu um, uh, strategic agenda for the next uh, uh, 5 years i mean there's a lot of things happening which um, which will distract the member states and will non, will will it's unlikely to distract also the EU from focusing on the Balkans or caring much about the Balkans at this point in time. Uh, and in some of these member states, given the dynamics, the the political dynamics, it might actually be the case that uh, mainstream parties would not necessarily have a lot of uh, incentive to push for the dossier. Let's say. So so in that sense, I don't. Don't necessarily think that it brings anything particularly uh, good for the for the region, or you know, well, we don't have any specific reasons to be any more optimistic than we were before, or uh, maybe slightly more pessimistic. But um, I, but you know, not much change changes. I would I would say for now at least. Uh, I think if the in the end the decision in June turns out to be uh, no uh, or another postponement, then things could turn um, uh, could take the wrong turn. But uh, um, you know, I think they could take the turn the wrong turn because of developments in the region, because the EU would ha would lose its credibility and transformative power. Uh, also, yeah. remember in countries like Greece, you know, I mean, uh, Greece has called elections. Uh, uh, new democracy uh, is likely to replace it, uh, but uh, who knows what kind of coalition partners it will have. Um, so, and and whether that will impact on uh, its stance vis-à-vis uh, -vis, uh, North Macedonia, for example. So, you know, um, let's. I'm I'm a little bit cautious about first reading too much in into this vis-à-vis -vis enlargement, but also being too optimistic at this point. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, there's definitely two sides to that coin. I mean, I agree. I don't see it being a priority in the EU. But then also, like, I think you touched on that a little bit. Um, the fact that people here will eventually lose interest. So it's it's it'll be a dangerous game. And yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I mean, I don't even want to to think of what will happen with uh, if North Macedonia is uh, slammed with a no. I mean. Mm. Um, Let's say that with respect to to Albania, uh, member states have concerns about whether enough progress has been made. But for North Macedonia, uh, I mean, which has uh, you know uh, done quite uh, substantive work, and uh, uh, you know the the, the kind of uh, uh, issues that it has managed to to resolve. I mean, to to not be given again uh, the green light for the opening of accession talks, I think would. Uh, would really lead to to a situation which we would want to avoid. Uh, as, as I understood, the, the present uh, 
um, might uh, uh, resign. I don't know uh, if uh, I, I can't uh, remember where uh, where I've heard it, but uh, it's possible that uh, you know he he'll give up. And if he'll give up, uh, I mean uh, uh, the situation uh, could turn quite ugly uh, in the country. Not to mention what you've referred to with respect to the credibility of enlargement and people's um you know faith and support for for integration which which we shouldn't um tamper with or whatever we yeah. shouldn't uh, poke let's say no, definitely or not. take for granted yeah yeah definitely not especially we've been sitting around 50 percent for a while now so it's like it can swing either way mm -hmm. um, yeah i mean uh but 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 really here i think first of all um yeah, I think that at this point we are no longer in a situation where people are really uh, naive about uh, about the EU. Um, they do have a realistic understanding that uh, uh, you know enlargement uh, takes time and uh, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Um, but it's also true that a lot of uh, people also think that uh, might never happen. So increasingly more so. So so that that is an issue. Uh, but the other thing uh, is that I really believe, and I mean I've tried to make the point of this uh, in in the challenge euro publication which i've co-authored with surgeon and uh, with marco um, uh, that ultimately i think we need to um, to change the focus and to change uh, the, the to shift the debate um, uh, away from talking conditionality and talking accession dates and discussing more about how we are actually in the same boat so if we want to move forward from here um, I think we uh, and uh, it's it's very important to start talking about the common problems and the common interests and common solutions because the kind of issues that we're facing are are very much of concern and we have uh, both sides have a stake in them both the EU and the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the member states so it's fine for Macron to want consolidation but consolidation is happening around is happening around the same kind of issues that the Balkans need to consolidate and that has to have to do with democracy have to do with economy, have to do with migration, have to do uh, with climate. You know, it's it. The, these are issues that uh, that that concern everybody involved, and I think that's where the focus and that's where we should uh, uh, um, um, shine a bright um, uh, spotlight um, instead of uh, of talking about progress and conditions and uh, and the technicalities of the process as such or dates, you know. Um, and, and I think we need to do that from both sides. It's important that uh, voices in the EU and uh, uh, including the Commission, but also, you know, the, the, the other um, people who, who believe in the importance of continuing and completing the process, um, uh, that, that, they that they make this case. Uh, but also, I think it has to come from the region where the, the region um, uh, at the level of politicians, but also at the level of civil society and so on, um, increasingly um, lay emphasis on uh, um, on the issues that are uh, common to to both sides um, also making the you understand that they get it they can acknowledge they can recognize uh, why um, cooperation is important why uh, integration matters why um, and, and 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 also that uh, you know they make the EU aware about the fact that um, they have a position on these issues so um, so I think for, for me, if 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 there 
is to be progress uh, given the situation in the member state. And by the way, I forgot to say that if you look at public opinion, uh, it's not only a question of the member states not uh, uh, being reluctant uh, about further expansion and you know not wanting to uh, give even more water to the to the radicals in in, in uh, to the radical in some of these countries, but also public opinion is 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 uh, very much um, uh, well against. Um, if you look at the Obramato polls, uh, enlargement is the least um, favored policy of the EU. Uh, still, I mean, it's on the last p position uh, in terms of public uh, public opinion. So, so you know, um, given this this complex situation in the EU, I think uh, if we want to move forward, um, we need to be more practical, more pragmatic, um, and 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 start talking issues and start talking common interest and start talking common solutions to this, rather than um, uh, continue to beat the drum. On uh, on the process and technicalities and entrance dates, which uh, you know, as as we've seen so f uh, so far, uh, haven't managed to uh, to to bring um, the countries yet in the in in the US fall. Yeah, no, definitely not. It's if anything, it's been very draining. Um, this was phenomenal. Thank you for doing this. Okay, great. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. See ya.